bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! Ladies and gentlemen, queens and queers, we are back for another titillating episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Hello, Troy. How are you? Hey, hey, Roger. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy holidays. Happy all those good things to you, to the fans. How was your uh, your holiday season and your New Year? Uh, it was uneventful, but uh, I'm glad that we are out of 2020. Although, unfortunately, it doesn't look like 2021 starting out much better with the whole COVID thing, with lockdowns and stuff going back in place. But I guess we've got to be optimistic and, and, and hope by the end of the year, at some point, we can go back to somewhat normal. But my, but yeah, I didn't, I did not do much um, at all. I, I kind of stuck around home, watched, watched a lot of TV and movies and packed because I'm moving this weekend and I'm really excited about that. So yeah, it was, yeah, it was nice. How was yours? Are you staying in uh, the same area? Or are you going someplace new? Oh, oh girl, I'm, I'm, I'm being bougie now. I'm going to Midtown. So. She'd be moving on up. Yeah, I'm moving on. <laughs> I finally got a piece of the pie, ladies and gentlemen. Because <laughs> I live in the I live in the freaking boonies right now, so I'm excited to actually get among civilization where there's actually like people that aren't like 70 years old. So. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like for some reason, Troy, in the best possible way, I I feel like that's the the perfect environment for you. You and a bunch of elderly people just slowly dying. Playing bingo. Yeah, but here you are, finally moving up to your own castle. So happy for you. Um, that is definitely a nice way to kick off the new year, even like you're right. Yeah, there's still corona madness. But hey, uh, the new vaccines are um, are finally starting to make their way into the masses. And uh, people are, you know, getting the injections. And hopefully, uh, hopefully we start to see the effect of that sooner than later. I don't think we're ever going to completely go back to a um, normal as we remember it, but I think we'll find a new normal within the year. I hope, I hope it's depressing, but we make, the, we make the best of it. We got this little podcast to entertain. We us. do. And that is the cure for depression or so, or, you know, or so I like to think um, unless you find my voice annoying and then it probably just adds to it. But, um, uh, and, and so for this, uh, for today, we've, uh, we've picked a really great uh, classic piece of 80s nostalgia that we're going to throw at y'all and uh troy it is hello uh mary lou prom night two and i know you've seen this one before oh god yeah hello mary lou yes i have i love mary lou. yeah iconic yeah it's well yeah well she needs to be more iconic honestly yeah um because i feel like she's kind of an overlooked villainous um but yeah, no, I've seen this before many times. Uh, I watched it just again last night to prepare and just had a freaking blast with it. It's it's something else. It is. It is. Um, it really is. Um, when you say that there should, 
there should be more of an acknowledgement. I, I completely agree, and we'll get into why that is. But um, for for you know the era it came out, when you look at some of the more celebrated iconic villains of from that era, I am baffled as to why she's not earned more of her cult status than she has. Um, just because this movie is a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. It is almost, in my opinion, as good as, um, if not better, some of the more celebrated classics from that time frame. So um, I'm excited to really get into the, um, the meat of this movie and uh, just uh, discuss it with you. So, um, well, you know, I think, I think you picked a good one here because I think the gays love Mary Lou. So based on, you know, my, my post about watching this last night to prepare for this episode, the gays went wild. So I think we picked a good one here. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, and I understand why, because this movie gives you a a lot of um, fabulosity. It gives you hair. It gives you gowns. It gives you the finest of 80s fabrics, the shine (laughs) of it all. Uh, Gaudy, gaudy, gaudy. I love it. God, yes. Some of these outfits. Yeah. We're going to get to that. Okay, so yeah. Hello, Mary Lou Cromley, too. We might as well just dig in. Yeah, yeah. So this movie was directed by Bruce Pittman, and um, it is the follow-up, the sequel to the... I would dare say, you know, actually iconic in its own right, Prom Night, starring everyone's favorite, Jamie Lee Curtis. And, um, uh, you know, I love that film for what it is. It's um, uh, one of the uh, the slashers that really helps set the mold. But I do feel, and we mentioned this, you mentioned this in a past episode, that Prom Night itself is kind of like lackluster in comparison to some of the other celebrated slashers of that era for lots of reasons. Um and one of the, the shocking things to me about Mary Lou, Prom Night 2, is that um, it honestly, I feel, is a better film than its predecessor um, in a lot of ways. They took some, they made some really bold choices with this and some really um, uh, just unique decisions were made in, in uh, developing this film because they went a completely different route. They went full out fantasy, ghost um, just a completely ge- different genre of horror than the first one, which is really surprising. But so the storyline uh, basically focuses around, um, uh, it, well, it, it doesn't focus, it starts with um, a prom taking place in the year um, 1957. Uh, so you get a great flashback sequence to open up the film. And it focuses around the character of Mary... Lou Maroney, um, who's played by Lisa Schrage. I, I hope I'm saying that right, but uh, am I saying that right, Troy? I think so. Yeah, and and she is um, just fantastic in this role. Like she is chewing the scenery left and right. She has all these great one-liners, and she really takes the era and runs with it. You feel like Mary Lou is like straight out of this like late 1950s era. She's just played to perfection. Um, and so she's just this really like larger than life whore, <laughs> basically. <laughs> like this. Yes. It's, it's very interesting that, you know, I mean the year, the movie, the opening takes place in 1957 and you have just this very liberated, very proudly sexually promiscuous 
you know, teenage girl, which is the, the total antithesis of what you generally would expect to see, you know, portrayed during that time period. And yes, by God, she does chew the scenery. I mean, the very opening, you know, we get introduced to her is when she's in that confession with the priest. Yes. And like, she like goes in and is giving this whole speech where you like think she's just going to be a very pure and um, giving her confession. And then she, <laughs> at the very end of it, turns to him and is, is like, I'm a slut and I love it. And she like writes her phone number on the wall of the confession booth and storms out in this big gaudy fashion. And the priest is like, Oh, he's so offended by it, but it, it's such a perfect start to the film. Yeah, it really, it really sets the tone and it is interesting. And I, you mentioned that, you know, that um, I don't really want to talk about the first film that much, but this is a, this is a better film than the first film. I don't, I will die hard say that um, the first film is a slasher f- film, but it's actually, I find the first film kind of boring and the pacing of the first film is just so dreadfully slow. Uh, this is the opposite, but you know, this was never meant to be a true sequel to prom night. The original title was the haunting of Hamilton high. And, you know, the distribution company at the last minute changed the name to, to, to prom night Two to kind of capitalize on the success of prom night. And I don't know if that was to the film's benefit or not. I feel like it sort of maybe suffered the kind of like the Halloween three thing where fans of the first film went to this expecting something completely different. And what they got was a supernatural just bonanza that has absolutely zero to do with the first film with the exception of that the school name is the same. So I, I don't know if that was the best marketing decision because I feel like if the film would have kept the original title that maybe it would have a a, a better um following. If you know if you're getting what I'm saying. Yeah, oh no, absolutely. I I'm on the exact same page with you with this. Um I feel like yeah, I I think that um that could have easily been uh, the uh, like nail in the coffin for this film in the sense of once you establish with Prom Night a very specific tone and type of film which was way drier and um, mm-hmm. a lot more just like of a serious approach aside from Jamie Lee Curtis's astonishing disco number, which totally came out of left field. Um, but, you know, it, overall, it's it, the only things that really are connected are, like you said, the school and the prom aspect. And I guess it's the one thing that like carries through, but is it enough to really warrant it as a sequel? I, I don't know. Um, but you know, either way it has gone on. I'd feel in recent years to be re- more recognized than the original. Cause you're right. When you say that the gays love it, it is celebrated more and more. I think a lot of it is coming full circle with this, the villainess, like you don't get a lot of female villains, let alone ones with as much personality and like ta-da factor as Mary Lou Maloney. Oh no. She, yeah. she is, she's, a, she's something else. I mean, yeah, she's something else, but yeah, at this, yeah, at this, well, after she goes to, conf- well, she goes to confession on the way to the prom, which is kind of interesting, but uh, once she gets to the prom, you know, it's a big old party and they're playing that tutti fruity, all the loot, you know, <laughs> and everybody's having a gay old time and she's there with, um, Bill, right? Bill. Yeah. That's yeah. Name. Billy Nordham, who, 
looks like he's 50. Um, he, he looks older than who plays him in his, when he is older, which is Michael Ironside, who is like a respectable actor. <laughs> he has like this receding hairline. And I'm like, is that, the, is that a teacher? But it's Billy. And, you know, she, um, at, she asks Billy to go get her some punch. And then she ends up going in and, and going with uh, Cooper. Buddy, Buddy Cooper, yes. right? Buddy Cooper, the bad boy, or or so he seems. And they go, they go, well, they go make out in the in the behind the stage, and poor uh, Billy catches them. And you know that's that's not very, it's not a very nice thing to do. And Billy's all upset, and she has that line that is an exact line from the first film where she says, "It's not who you go, home, it's not who you take, it's who you go home with." Yeah, so I mean, you are getting like little hints yeah. of prom night, I guess. So at least there's like some aspects that like acknowledge the original. That's pretty. That's cool. At least it feels intentional. Um, but yeah, Billy, like the relationship between her and Billy, like I'm guessing they've been like going steady for a hot minute because he gave he finally gives her his ring. But like obviously they've been an item for a minute. It's not like he's some guy who's just come up to her and is like trying to romance her. There's definitely an established relationship between her and Billy. So when that whole makeout session comes up with Buddy Cooper occurs, Billy's upset is like warranted. She's clearly like not only is she spiting him or or screwing him over she's doing it intentionally well she's she's so nasty to him it's like you know um and but you get the sense well she basically says the only reason she's dating him is because his daddy is rich and you remember billy when he finds him making out he's like you haven't even got you haven't even gone this far with me and we've been dating a year so obviously she's a you know a gold digging you know hussy but <laughs> but and that's why i love her yeah but but you got you got to feel a little bit of sympathy for Billy, but you know <laughs> what he does next is is kind of well. It sets this whole thing in motion. And what does he do, Roger? What is his he, revenge? He, in a very Carrie esque delivery. No, this whole movie is Carrie esque. Yeah, this whole movie is a lot of movies fused together to create one fantastic movie. But um, so he like ascends the the uh the um ladder up to the catwalk above the stage and he's watching it as uh Mary Lou is crowned prom queen like they announce that she's prom queen and she goes up to accept her flowers and everybody is cheering for her and she gets her crown and she's waving and he's so enraged that he takes like a um like a stink bomb, I'm guessing. Like, I'm thinking what he's intending to do is like stink her out, you know, drop the stink bomb. But uh, he lights it. And when he lights it and drops it, uh, he drops it too close to her and it hits, it catches her dress and sets her dress ablaze. And it is quite the sequence. It really is. And it holds up. I mean, it, it's, it looks pretty damn impressive, if you ask me. Even even today, it holds up. It's pretty. It's pretty actually disturbing because they linger on her burning for a long ass time. They do, and like Buddy, like rushes to the stage, but doesn't actually do anything. He just pounds his fists on the stairs of the stage, and just why God? Why is she still like alive and burning? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's very uh, very drawn out, but yes, it's very effective and um, uh, quite a way to kick off. Uh, the film you know there's a lot of character in this opening sequence and there's a lot of character 
throughout this entire movie. Like it never really loses its oomph. Um, and it really starts with a bang. Um, so then, you know, you get this great, you know, opening of, to the film, which really introduces the, the lure of the school, what happened there with this whole death of Mary Lou. And you go, you flash forward 30 years later and you are introduced to a new female focus, um, the lovely Vicky Carpenter, as played by a um, fawn, fawn-eyed Wendy Lyon. And she is a delight. Her long, flowing blonde hair. Strawberry blonde. <laughs> yes. And her choices of wardrobe. Yeah. Oh God. She has the the, the mom the mom jeans and everything. yeah, very high waisted jean. But what's interesting is you know I mean this movie yeah you, you're right it's a hodgepodge of so many movies but the Carrie influence in this movie is so not even subtle. Um, her what I noticed is her Vicky's house looks exactly like Carrie White's house. Oh yeah, it's even like the like the look, the effect they put on it. They give it this kind of like glowy. It, it's meant to look so picturesque in some of these shots. Like the whites almost have like a halo to them for some of the sequences. Yes, and even more, even even more so, her mother just happens to oh, be yes. a freaking religious mother. <laughs> her mother is a freaking cunt. Dare I say it? But I mean, like, her mother is played. Talk about chewing the scenery. Um, uh, is it Virginia? <laughs> is, that, is that her name? Because that sounds like it would be her mother's name. She is just irrationally cruel to this poor girl. She won't even let her get any prom dress. She's just always shaming her. Even when, like, and this girl is truly like an angel. She, like, at least she starts off as such. Um, she's such a good kid, and the mother is just so cruel. But the father clearly balances it out. Um, yeah in many ways as the movie progresses during one specific sequence. <laughs> but, um, but so Vicky, um, Vicky is, you know, she's dealing with this crazy batshit mother. Um, and she's luckily dating, um, a very sweet young man, um, who is, uh, uh, Craig, right. I think his name is Craig. Yeah. He's played by, um, a delightful Justin Lewis. He's a cutie too. He's a cutie. His looks actually, I, I think when I look at him, I'm like, wow, he, you know, he could have come out today and had the same kind of like yeah. effect. He's just really handsome, but he's also very likable. Yes. Well, we'll get to that because I think, I feel like he is, well, we'll talk about that towards him because I made a note about him um, kind of comparing him to another sort of male lead in a slasher sequel. Um, but uh but no, he he's a very delightful character, very cute, very very likable. The two of them are adorable together. Uh, but it's yeah, you get you get some really good insight into Vicky's home life just right away. Not only from the way the mother talks to her about not being able to get a, a dress, but like when Vicky and um, Craig go to they're, they're having coffee, and I believe she she hasn't even told her her mom or anybody that she's nominated for prom queen. Because she thinks her mother will be very disappointed. Um, in the- yeah. You get a real dirty pillows vibe from this whole mother-daughter relationship. A lot of shaming, an irrational shaming that I have no idea where it's coming from. But yeah, this, this poor girl's clearly um, been put through the ringer. 
due to this mother. Um, and luckily she has this delightful boyfriend that she can run to and vent her feelings to and a lovely support system, which clearly carries through the whole film uh, up to a, to the finale and um, and so on. And so um, uh, you get introduced to a lot of characters early in that kind of create um, her social circle within the school. And I have to say, like, the whole cast is pretty phenomenal. Um, even like her best friend, Jess, um, the whole character who you find out with the whole pregnancy thing that's coming up. Um, some actually, I thought, despite her hair and her fashion, which was absurd, I really thought her acting was pretty great. Her, her acting is really good. Like when she's, when she's crying in the locker room, uh, that's a very effective scene. And she find, we find out that she w- has been dating this, seeing this boy, and now he won't return her phone calls, and she's pregnant. Um, but this l- girl literally is looks like she stuck her finger in a light socket. That hair is frizzed about three feet off her head. <laughs> like, who the, who the hell costumed these poor she, kids? She is wearing the most hideous outfit I've ever seen in my entire life. And then what? It, and then she was nominated for prom queen. I mean, the school must have slim pickings. I'm assuming slim fucking pickings. But I mean, let's also acknowledge that every kid, and this is a very 1980s trope, but every kid in this school, for the most part, I'd say 80 percent of them, not every kid, but 80 percent of the cast looks like they are roughly 35. Well, yeah, and it seems like every girl is nominated for prom queen. Like every girl you run into, she's she's nominated. So they just nominate every girl in, in the school. Everyone. Because they're all eligible, yeah, right? Because literally, it's like every girl you run into. Oh, I'm I'm nominated. Uh, another another prom queeness to be um, is is the nemesis of the film. Well, other than Mary Lou, Mary Lou, um, it's is Kelly. Kelly, who is a, a another just wretched human being to poor Vicky. Like this girl is so cruel, so irrationally cruel to Vicky. Um, but she's played so well that I love her. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, she's, she's, she's great. She's, you know, she's talking about her dress. I love when you're introduced to her, she's describing her dress at the locker and it's the, it's a red and it has polka dots and it has a big bow. And it's told it's the same dress that Liz Taylor wore to the Oscars. Oh, she's great. She's absolutely great. And a little known fact, she's played by the actress Terry Hawks. And I know a lot of the gays on, uh, that listen to this are going to appreciate this. She was the voice of, and Troy, I don't know if you're, you know, your age range, if you're going to be as affected by this as I was. She ended up going on to voice uh, Serena in the first English dub of Sailor Moon. Oh, okay. She's the voice of Sailor Moon. And so I was like, why do I know this voice? Because she's a very specific thing. I <laughs> Helium sound her voice. It makes her sound like a total bitch. Um, but like, she's great. She's great. In the she is. And she is, she is, she is thirsty to be prom queen. This is like, all she she, this is her entire, let's, it's her life goal apparently is to be prom queen because she literally does whatever she can to, to try to win. Um, she's thirsty and she's fucking vengeful. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, um, 
so she, um, uh, you know, going back to you, and you gave a little bit of it, but um, the, you know, the character of Jess, who clearly has a really close relationship with Vicky, um, she has this whole situation with the pregnancy, and it kind of leaves starts leading to this emotional arc. Mm-hmm. Um, and and honestly, I thought you're going to get more of it because they did a really good job of building this character up a little bit, but it leads to this whole great sequence where she's working on this art piece. She stays alone in the high school. She's you know finishing up this art piece. Mm-hmm. And um, she ends up um, being the first victim in the film. She has this really, for, uh, this really amazing kill sequence because she ends up, um, I, she has the whole sequence where she like pries the gemstone off, the crown, right? Well, yeah, but I think, I think before that, Vicky goes into the basement or the prop room to look for a dress to wear to prom. Because she can't, her mom doesn't, won't buy her a new dress. And Vicky is the one that finds that trunk. And when she opens the trunk, um, it has all of like Mary Lou Maroney's stuff, like her, her prom sash, the crown. And I guess that unleashes her, her spirit. So that's how Mary Lou's spirit is unleashed. So yeah, you, then you flash forward to Jess right after you find out she's pregnant. Yeah. She's staying after school and she gets the crown and tries to pop a, the, a gem off of it and lordy poor girl yeah so the whole thing with like the 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 gown and everything leading up to that um it's it you know it's a little convoluted like in its basic core idea it makes sense like these items that were locked away in the drama department chest um basically keep her spirit with them and once they're brought out because vicky is the one that discovers the chest she kind of unleashes this thing and it's almost like another movie they're kind of taking from, and you definitely see a little influence. There's almost like an exorcist kind of aspect as she's slowly possessed over the course of the film by this presence. Uh, since she's the first one to open the chest and, and she gets the, you know, um, the crown out and all that. Um, she becomes the focus of Mary Lou's attention throughout the movie. And in the, in the meantime, we forgot to mention, you find out that the principal um, who is actually Craig's, dad who's about michael ironside you find out that he is actually billy who set mary lou on fire um and my only question was did they not do a background check on him how do you burn a girl alive and then become principal of the school that you burned her alive oh yeah they overlook a lot of little details like why the hell are all the pieces like important pieces of evidence from the burning of the girl locked in the the drama closet or the drama department, like in a chest, like wouldn't that be evidence from a murder? And would they not be horribly like melted or destroyed? I was just lots of questions needing to be answered. That was, that was just something I chuckled at because you know, the school system, uh, yeah, I could just see him walking in for the interview and they're like, Hey, aren't you the one that burned Mary Maroney alive? Yeah. Perfect. You're hired. You're the new principal. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I have a lot of history with this school. I killed killed someone here. <laughs> and not only oh, and not only that, yeah. Not only that, Cooper, who was her, the one she went, ran off with, is now a priest. Yeah, oh, oh, how the tables have turned with this film. Um, he's a priest and a very uptight one at that, but that makes sense because um, you know. And then okay, so here's and I, and these are just ridiculous things, but you know, Jess Jess's death scene is pretty damn amazing. It is, yeah. Once she gets, once she pops that jewel off, Mary Lou's spirit gets pissed and like wraps wraps her in 
freaking curtains or whatever, and pulls her towards a um, a uh, paper cutter. And you think that she's going to get her head chopped off with the paper cutter, but instead the robe wraps around her neck and hangs her from a, from the rafters. And then somehow she's thrown out the window, right? Oh, it is like a multi-layered final destination before final destination exa- existed kind of death. It just keeps going. It's slightly mean-spirited because you do just find out that she was pregnant, which is, you know. Yeah, I was I was chomping at the bit to get to this and I started I just started getting carried away when when you mentioned that whole side story, I couldn't help but launch into this and I totally skimmed over pivotal details of this film, but I've been chomping at the bit to discuss this like I mean some of the kills in this movie are not only are they like effective, but they're really well planned out. Like you get so much detail. They don't really skimp on anything with these from the burning and the first kill to now this amazing second kill with Jess. Like you're right. They establish this great emotional arc for the character. They give you this whole idea that you're going to like get something more from them. And instead, boom, just like a punch to the gut. They kill this girl in the most, violent and like prolonged way possible yeah it's it's quite a it's quite a spectacle um yeah i mean she's hung and then thrown out the window and then the and then apparently the next day they claim that she committed suicide which again is just one of those nitpicky things (laughs) where i would think like the medical examiner would be able to determine that she was hung Hmm. can you imagine that medical examiner coming to that conclusion like hmm yes well i'm looking at the uh you know the the amount of like violent destruction in this room. This girl clearly like flung herself across the floor and then proceeded to wrap this ribbon, this giant streamer around her neck and then flung herself through a glass window. Like it just does not seem plausible. After she was hung and she, yeah, I did. Yeah, but it, but whatever she, they, they, oh, she killed herself. And you know, Vicky accepts it because Vicky thinks that she killed herself because of the fact that this, she was pregnant and this boy wasn't um, returning her phone calls anymore. And now you start to see Vicky slowly changing her personality is starting to alter a little bit um, because there's the scene and it's probably, you know, one of the best scenes in the movie where she runs into Kelly in the hallway and Kelly's all Kelly doesn't give a shit that Jess is dead. In fact, she's like, Oh, one less prom queen candidate to worry about. So maybe you should do what Jess did. And, and, and so that there's less, even less prom, less candidates. And then Vicky has that great line. I love it so much. What does she say? Is this where she bitch slaps her? <laughs> no, that's, I think that's later. This is where she says, you shut your fucking mouth, bitch. Oh yeah, like she just turns in real, I'm really coldly, like this actress does a great job of the transition from sweet, like angelic Vicky to like scathing bitch Vicky. Oh, she it, does. It is cold. Yeah. And she says that line, I know, and everyone's like shocked. <laughs> <laughs> It's hilarious. Even even uh, Kelly's reaction is is hilarious. Like she's, oh, well, come on, then, and then walks away. It is it is so funny the way she says the way she delivers that line is priceless. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and you know, it's kind of like it's hard to really understand exactly what powers 
uh, Mary Lou has to start off with, but like, it's kind of like a widespread, like she can, she's possessing Vicky, but at the same time, she can also like kill on her own regard. You know, she kills Jess um, and she has like influence outside of Vicky as well. So she's kind of like this omnipresent force. So I guess like basically like no one is safe, but like there's this, that whole thing with like you, you mentioned like, you know, Buddy is now a priest and Vicky, you know, confides in him. She goes to him and he basically, he's the one of the first people to be like, uh, Mary Lou is back and she is back with a vengeance. And there's that whole sequence where like the, um, the, the Bible burns, you know? And like, it's like Mary Lou is just, like I said, she's omnipresent throughout this whole film and her powers are constantly growing, but she's really focused mostly on Vicky. And it all kind of leads up to that really great sequence where, um, like I said, she does eventually slap um, Kelly. Um, well, Kelly, Kelly throw, remember they're, they're playing volleyball and Kelly throws a ball at Vicky's head. Yeah. And knocks her out, and then Vicky has this like vision of the, the it's really cool scene where like the volleyball net turns into a spider. Yeah, net. yeah, that's when the Nightmare on Elm Street vibes really start to come into play. Another film that you see a lot of influence here. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The first two, the first two Nightmare on Elm Streets definitely have are definitely influenced this movie. It's so obvious. Um, but yeah, and and Vicky is starting to have these weird visions and and hallucinations of of like the hallways turning into like abandoned hall. The, the hallways are turning abandoned and all dark and spooky bugs and stuff. But then she goes to confession, and that's this is when um, Cooper really kind of gets the idea that Mary Lou is possessed is back in in the form of Vicky because of what Vicky tells him during confession. Um. But yeah, so you get that whole thing where he's like the one that knows what's going on, but nobody wants to believe mm -hmm. him. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, so I don't know. Yeah, so after confession, there there is this, also this just this weird thing with this horse that she has in her bedroom. Listen, that fucking horse, <laughs> that rocking horse, the, like the possessions, the possession at this point is like, starting to kind of tear Vicky apart and she's, she's very resistant to it. Um, and she like, you know, she has all these dream sequences, like we've mentioned leading up to this whole thing with the rocking horse where she, um, she basically like, she screams at the force and it, it's taking over a rocking horse in her bedroom and the tongue is like coming out and everything. And it's, um, it, it's, to, you know, it's clearly like it's in her house, it's in her room, it's in her life. And so she freaks out and her parents come running in, you know, she's very aware that this is taking place. Yeah. Um, but that whole sequence with the volleyball where it leads up to that, like you have that whole thing where, um, you know, like you said, like she has, she gets hit with the ball. She has that, that dream sequence with this uh, spider web. She ends up slapping Kelly because she's just such a bitch. And honestly, she deserves it. And she gets sent to detention. And the detention sequence is honestly, probably one of my favorite sequences in the sense of like creativity and what they were able to do with like practical effects with this film. I think in some ways it almost outdoes some of the amazing dream sequences that you do get in the early Nightmare on Elm Streets um, because it's just, it's a cool fucking sequence where everything in the room starts becoming possessed and the, the chalkboard 
um, basically like sucks Vicky into it. It becomes a pool of liquid and they even have like letters floating in the liquid. Yeah. It's so effective. It's so cool. It really looks cool. It's, it's held up very well. Yeah. It's, 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 it's an amazing practical effect. And I think I read somewhere that it, they, they, it took them like five days to film it, but, and this was kind of a, you know, this movie didn't have a huge budget. So it's not like they, you know, they had tons of money to be spending on all these effects. I think that they just made the, they, the people involved with this film obviously knew how to make the most of what they had. Because yeah, this scene, this sequence still, still holds up today. I mean, she's pulled into the chalkboard uh, and it just, it, it, it envelops her and it starts to become like this, like black swirling water and the letters that were written on the chalkboard are swirling around. It looks really fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And she eventually just becomes like sucked into the chalkboard and then it goes back to being a chalkboard, but the letters, I know this is such a little detail, but the letters that were like floating in the water then mm. go back to being chalk. Like it was so well done. And so like, they're like kind of like off to the corner, like askew, like nobody would have written them in there like that. But it's this little detail that I was like, this was really well handled. And then this is when, after she gets pulled into the chalkboard, this is when she is basically 100% possessed. Um, because she goes to the confession again to, to meet with um, Cooper and she fucking murders him. She stabs him in the mouth with a crucifix. Yes. It is so um, over the top with those like, uh, like crazy, like shots of like the uh, stained glass and everything as he's like, you know, as she goes to kill him and she's wearing this very dramatic lilac covered, uh, like babushka, you know, like head shawl. Um, and she just looks very intense, but yeah, she is fully taken over by Mary Lou and that carries through, through like the rest of the film. And it's such a cool twist because they, they designed Vicky's character a certain way that she was so pure and so sweet and so angelic that when you contrast her with Mary Lou's personality, you realize you're getting this really great performance from this actress of these two very distinct, different personalities and her whole style changes. Yeah. She's in a fifth and style poodle skirt. She has her hair up in a tight ponytail and her just energy is very like much dead on recreating the performance from the beginning of the film. I think it's great. I love this twist and it, it carries through the rest of the movie. Yeah. No, it, that's what I was thinking when I was watching this is the act, the actor, the lead actress is, is really a great at, at just, it really is playing two completely different characters. So yeah, when she shows up at school the following day, she, yeah, she's completely, she's in a poodle skirt, her, even her walk, her gait is, is different. The way she carries herself, her facial expressions, everything is completely different. Um, and People seem to know, everyone seems to sort of notice except her, her boyfriend, who's like, oh, she's just, you know, experimenting with her style. <laughs> yeah, um, he is, he's like kind of the last one to catch on. And part of it, I think, is because Vicky, you know, now Mary Lou, Mary Lou and Vicky's body is also very smitten with him. So she's all about playing up the fact that that's her boyfriend. Um, and not only that, but she's very like defensive of him and protective of like the relationship. And when Vicky's one friend, Monica, who's a character consistently, you know, that we see developed through the whole film, she has like a developing relationship with one of the male characters and everything. So she's not this paper thin character. Um, and you can tell that she and Vicky are good friends. 
Um, one of like the telltale signs is when Monica is just pleasantly interacting with the two of them. Um, Vicky snaps at her and completely just dis- like tosses her aside and and ditches her. And Monica is really like the first one to really catch on within the social circle and be like, something is wrong. Vicky is not herself. Yeah. Yeah. Vicky is very dismissive. She's like, beat it. He's with me. So yeah. So she, and then that leads to this just, uh, I, I don't even know, just surprising locker room shower scene. Listen, <laughs> Another reason I love this film, and it gives, I mean, the gifts it gives, the gifts it gives. This shower sequence gives us so much. This shower sequence gives us full bush. Full bush. Not that I'm necessarily looking for full bush as a gay man, but I respect the hell out of it for being there. It gives us multiple breasts, which I'm sure men of that era were thrilled with. Um, and it gives us, honestly, one of the best kills in the film. Uh, that whole lead up to that kill. And we'll talk about that in one second. But I do want to acknowledge this whole sequence when Vicky strips down, again, never would have expected something like this uh, from this actress or this character. Um, it really shows the change in Vicky. Um, but this whole sequence is like, I was not, expecting the first time i watched this movie i remember being like holy shit they just did a full frontal they did a lesbian like esque makeout sequence where she vicky tries to kiss monica also very much not something i would expect from that time from that era um and then there's that whole nude stalking scene which was also just like really like just you're just getting full batch and it it's it's shocking because you are right. It's just shocking to see the actress based on what we've seen from her thus far in the film where she's playing just such a sweet angelic character to come out full frontal. And it's not a it's not a short scene by any means. I mean, she is naked throughout this entire sequence and it's full bush, full, full moth, full tits, everything are just out. And it's sort of like, you know, it would be like watching an episode of Little House in the Prairie. You know, and seeing like halfway through Laura Ingalls walks out completely <laughs> naked. I mean, it's, it's. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine if there was just one episode of Little House on the Prairie with a full, <laughs> with a full bad shot? Like, I wouldn't know what to do with myself. I would be so awkward. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but, you know, honestly, again, I respect this movie all the more for it. Um, uh, really, just left and right, this movie is um, throwing throwing out uh, surprises that I, to the viewer that I don't think they're really... If you haven't seen this movie, um, and we did not give our, like, spoiler alert, but at this point, people should yeah. fucking know. Um, it, you know, I think going into this, if you're someone who's not seen this movie before, you're going to be surprised. There's such a surprise factor. Um, both with like the quality of the kills with the story arc and how it changes and with, you know, bold choices like full frontal nudity vaginas. Um, but anyways, it leads up to that really, really fun, fantastic locker kill with the bop, baba, loo, bop, bam, 
<laughs> and that locker that Monica is hiding in, she's hiding from Vicky, completely just crunches like a yes, Coke can. That is, that is an iconic death scene that should be among the, listed as among the best death scenes ever. Mon- yeah, and it's prolonged. She, uh, there's a big chase scene, and, and for some reason, Monica is extremely just like all of a sudden super terrified of Vicky. Um, and so she, yeah, she hides in a locker, and and yeah, Vicky crushes her, boom, and she's crushed, and like blood and goo squirt out of the locker. It's just amazing, like thick. It's like a thick, like just fleshy substance it is so disgusting and um i remember the first time i watched that kill specifically it not only did it like get me to react it made me to go like ooh, like out loud i was like taken aback by it so yeah it really is one of the best kills in my opinion and build-ups to a kill but overall just executions of a kill sequence in a film from that era that i can think of um but anyway, so so now we've got another one bites the dust. Monica's dead. And um, Vicky has that whole situation where she like seduces Craig, to, but she like she like leads him on and then she like knocks him out. Well, well, yeah. And then it's then it's prom night and Vicky is. At, oh, this is another scene that's just like, what the fuck? Um, she, it's, it's prom night and she's getting, she's in her beautiful blue prom dress and her, her, she's sitting on that damn, uh, horse, which t- the, t- yeah. And the tongue, the horse's tongue is like going in and out of its mouth while she's sitting on it and caressing it in the most over- overtly sexually possible way. And the horse's tongue is going in and out <coughs> like this. What the fuck? And then the dad comes in. <laughs> oh, and the dad is like. My beautiful daughter, you're so beautiful. I'm so pleased for you to look this good. Like he's just giving her like loving parental comments. You know, he's 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 telling his daughter how lovely he thinks she looks, and he's just being a wonderful father. And she <laughs> fucking makes out with makes him. out with him, and he doesn't really try to stop her. No, but God, when she pulls away and walks away, he is like, ah, uh, what the fuck? Just well, the mother, no, the, mo- the mother walks in and sees them making out. Yeah. Oh, and she's pissed, as I guess a, a woman has the right to be when her daughter sensually kisses her father. He's like, harlot. Yeah, she's calling her a whore. Harlot. You harlot, yeah. you strumpet. But I don't know what she says. Again, I mean, if we're going to talk about good, effective kill scenes, <laughs> basically, Vicky's walking down the steps and the mom is just screaming obscenities at her, like shaming her, as she should in this case. Like, this is merited. And Vicky just, like, turns to her and all of a sudden the mother just gets launched out the front door, like, through the glass. <laughs> It is so good. It's the best. I don't even know if the woman died. I'm assuming, but um, I don't know. But I swear to God, I, I thought I swear to God when I watched it last night that I saw the wig. If it was a stunt person, I saw their wig fly off. You know what? <laughs> that makes sense in that case because it's a pretty violent, violent sequence, and it's totally out of nowhere. Um, and again, a very Carrie esque moment. It's it's like a telekinetic moment. Um, so you're getting so many nods to all these different movies, but like very much. Um, it's not like I even felt like anything was being stolen. I feel like it was very self-aware almost of what it was doing. Um, it, it makes it more enjoyable. Yeah. 
Yeah. So then we get to the big old prom, Hamilton High prom. And um, Vicky's there and Craig is there and Kelly's there and everyone's there having a, a, a great time. And, you know, Kelly is still very desperate to to win prom queen. So she goes to Josh, who is the like this cute. He's cute. He was the one that was interested in, in, in what's her name? The one that got crushed in the locker. Yeah, he's really cute until the sequence where he just, you know, it makes him seem a little bit dickish. It, well, it doesn't. To me, it, it was out of character because she comes she comes the first time and he she tries to pay him to to fix it because he's in charge of the voting. He has a computer program that's going to tally the votes. So Kelly initially comes and tries to give him money and he's like, no, sorry. Uh, well, then on prom night, he's in his little office or whatever, not even wondering what happened to uh, to Kelly. And um, she comes in again and she proceeds to blow him <laughs> to and he just lets her and he changes the he actually changes the, the results to let her win. Um, and there's. He doesn't just letter. He literally types into the computer. Like he doesn't say it, but you know he says "blue yeah. job" when he types it. Like he instigates it. And you're right; it's very out of character. Yeah, it, it really is because this character is not portrayed this way at all throughout the film. Um, he's very sweet, very like just charming, boyish, and this was out of character. I thought maybe one of the little slight missteps of the film um, in terms of how they handle characterization. But he changes it, and then she's running out and like. That guy's like, you know, she has like, it's a, it's just disgusting. Because, well, it's not really disgusting. Hey, I do it, but whatever. You know, he, he that he came in her mouth <laughs> and her boyfriend is like trying to kiss her. And she's like, oh, trying to, he's like, oh, that, t- that tastes really, what do you have? What's that mint? What's that candy you have in your mouth? I'm like, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This film is very sexually aware consistently throughout the whole film. Well, and then there's okay, so and it very well is because actually once Josh changes the uh, the uh, the thing to let Kelly win, Mary Lou or or Vicky basically electrocutes in a very death. drawn out sequence. <laughs> it is, and his that little that poor little cutie did not deserve to be electrocuted like a goddamn chicken. Yeah, it's like a microwave; it just keeps going. <laughs> But so then it changes back to, uh, well, who knows? We don't even know who won. It could have been that big haired girl. Um, she could have won. We just, we don't know. But the, obviously Vicky makes it so that Vicky wins. We don't even know who the original winner was. We know it wasn't Kelly because he tells her it wasn't her. So who was it? Was it who, who won? I don't know. Um, anyways, Vicky ends up winning and which is completely shocking to Kelly. And she's like flabbergasted and Vicky goes up on stage and, even like Kelly's boyfriend has that line that's, hey, Kelly, how'd you blow it? <laughs> <laughs> Again, this movie is very sexually aware. Like, it's just the jokes and the references are great. But yeah, um, and leading up to this whole sequence um, and that animated electri- electric um, electrocution sequence, which is absurd, but very effective. Um, one thing that I do want to like also acknowledge in the sense of the story is because we got a little sidetracked earlier when we started talking about um the whole prom like leading up to the prom night craig's father billy has been made aware that vicky is 
possessed by Mary Lou. Mary Lou knocks Craig out earlier in the film and then um, basically she goes to Billy and says who she is. Um, and, And so he's aware and he he's basically out to stop her and it's all leading up to the prom. He knows that this is like, you know, the event in which she's going to make herself, you know, either seek her vengeance or whatever on Craig. He knows that he's, she's about to do something. So he comes to the prom with the intention of stopping her. And so leading up to this whole sequence now, you know, she's, she's one prom queen. She goes up to accept her flowers and it, it, you know, it builds up through this whole sequence and Billy arrives and he shoots her. Yes. He shoots her right on stage. Um, Yeah. And this is a really cool thing to me because this whole time you have been following Vicky as the focus and when this happens, it changes the whole dynamic of the of the film and the focus and where things are going. Yes, because Vicky has uh, Vicky has been shot in the chest, and it's a pretty you know gnarly wound. And what happens is Craig runs up on stage and trying to comfort her, and out of the wound starts to crawl out Mary Lou Maroney, and this is such. An awesome, awesome scene. I mean, goddamn! I was watching this last night. I'm like, this is amazing. Like, you get this like burnt, like zombie Mary Lou just emerging from uh, Vicky's body, and she's doing all these crazy hand gestures, and it's very Carrie-esque because what starts to happen is she's using her telekinetic powers to like she's unleashing them at the prom, and like lights are falling down, tables are flipping over. You get, and she's just on stage, just the, the whole lighting, the backdrop of the lighting, you just see her figure and she's just doing these crazy hand motions. Um, and Kelly actually gets killed because one of the neon lights falls and impales her, which I thought was a pretty tame death. That bitch deserved way more than that. Oh, absolutely. That is one of my thoughts. Uh, I have in my notes here that out of all the characters, you get like kind of like a lame death because there has not been really a lame death leading up to this. For her to be the one, I was I felt a little um, a little betrayed because I really really wanted to see Kelly just get destroyed. I mean, but I'm thinking maybe at that point they were their, their budget was like, well, we can't really do much more except like stick up, you know, a neon thing on her and make it look like she got killed. yeah. Because this scene, well, this scene, the whole sequence, yeah, this whole this sequence had to you know cost a, a shit ton of money to do, even with the yeah. low budget of the film, because it's it's pretty damn cool it looks amazing yeah there's that whole thing with vicky you know vicky's obviously like she's killed Mm -hmm. um when she's shot and like when you see the like the chest starting to bust through and you like when you first see the hand come through and everything that whole sequence of the of mary lou crawling out of the bullet hole and like literally crawling out of vicky's body is disturbing disturbing it is so well done it is honestly for i mean one of the best climaxes in a film of this genre that i can think of and the whole thing builds up to this and it is just insane so you know kelly's death aside the rest of what's happening is so impressive that it doesn't even really matter because it like once this starts it does not stop mary lou is like you said on the stage she's burnt but she's starting to like Mm -hmm. 
revert back to her original self as she's, you know, killing everybody and unleashing her powers. And she targets Craig and starts to pursue him through the school and the lower level of the school into the drama room in this really phenomenal chasing where it's not only like a chasing, but she's also like appearing and disappearing. Like she's still spiritual. It's so well done. And this is where I wanted to make a comment about Craig and his character, because he really is one of the rarities in, in, in slasher film history. He's a, he's, he's a final boy and he gets his own like chase scene and it's, it's prolonged. Uh, It's a long chase scene and he gets, you know, to to battle the, the final villain. And, you know, he's, he's really a, he's a final, he's a final boy. And I'm surprised that more people don't talk about him. I know if you think about like, you know, um, somebody like Mark Patton from Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Um, very similar, you know, characters, I think. Uh, and, you know, Mark Patton gets, you know, all the, you know, is, is obviously a, a great person and has, has done some great things. With but I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm wondering why this character doesn't get some of the same accolades for being uh, a, a final boy. Do you know what I mean? Maybe I'm off base here. I don't know. Absolutely. No, definitely. It's one of those things you don't even, because the movie is focusing on Vicky for such a prominent period of time, but you are getting a lot of development with Craig and they're smart because they make him so likable. And even like Vicky's mother, like disliking him is so unwarranted, which makes her so much more unlikable. Like his whole character is pretty consistently um, one of the positive aspects of the film, at least for Vicky. So when you when when Vicky is killed off in that like startling sequence and he becomes the focus, Craig becomes the focus, it's one of those things where he's also a character um that you like you you want to support and see survive because he's been nothing but loving towards Vicky and nothing but a positive character. And so like, yeah, you have this really like endearing, yeah, final boy sequence, and it is great because he's got these puppy dog eyes and you really like you want this guy to make it um and and mary lou is just toying with him it's this cat and mouse game and it's fantastic yeah he's a scream queen if mark Patton can be a scream queen i think craig can be a scream queen because it's very yes they're very they're very similar characters if you think about it it's you know he even he even as as she finally gets him into the into the basement or wherever they are he starts to get pulled into that chest and he and it's going to pull him into the you know, the, the other world and he's going to be lost forever. And, you know, he's, he's screaming, he's, he's, he's flailing. And, um, his dad saves the day with the crown. Yes. Yes, he does. Billy shows up and, um, he puts the crown on Mary Lou's head and he kisses her. And, Basically, in my mind, he's telling her she is the prom queen. She has the crown. She got what she wanted. And um, it seems to be like the cure for her anger. It, it, yeah. it, it like is the solution. Like, if, you know, if every evil force has, there's one way to like appease it. It's it, for Mary Lou. This is the solution. And she vanishes. She's gone. And, and his son is saved. And not only that, but in a really cool and unique turn of events, Vicky is pulled out of the chest. Me, uh, I don't know. It doesn't make much sense because she was shot. Um, so yeah, I, I understand. I could understand if, like, her death was Mary Lou, like coming out of her, that she would be able to be um, 
brought back to life, but she, the bitch was shot. Like, how do you all of a sudden come back to life? But that's again, whatever, but she's back. Yeah. We got Vicky and it's cute because he asks, he wants to know, he wants to prove that it's Vicky and he asks her, do you take sugar in your coffee? You know, because they have that cute little thing where she, he's putting coffee in, in his, or she, he's putting sugar in his coffee at the beginning of the film. And she's like, that stuff will kill you. So that's how he, that's how he knows that it's truly Vicky. And the three of them go off into the, car and live happily ever after or do they yeah they get so they (laughs) um they get to the vehicle and billy is driving they get inside and uh, again in a great turn of events this movie so so great at like just when you think something's gonna go one way it it, it throws something out of left field and kind of shocks you um so the father billy looks over the seat back at the kids and his eyes are glowing they're the, they're the same color as mary lou's and he smiles at them and he delivers his great final line and her song comes on and the kids clearly know that it's mary lou it's very freddy krueger-ish you know nightmare on elm street one of the last scene of nightmare on elm street where freddy's driving you know and the mom gets pulled in except the mo- there's no mom in this one that gets pulled in but it's very similar yeah so basically billy has become mary lou and the film ends yeah, they totally um, they, they they fool the audience into thinking that that kiss is what cures or um, appeases Mary Lou, mm. and honestly, all she did was just possessed Billy instead. <laughs> so so yeah, like last thing you'd expect, you know, because you have a female um, antagonist the whole film. The last thing you'd expect is for it to turn at the very end and possess the the male but uh what a cool turn of events and um even though it is very nightmare on elm street i don't even care because it feels like the 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 perfect conclusion to such a a far out absurd piece of 80s cinema it still feels so right you know It, it is it is the it's the best film of the franchise now granted i have not seen prom night three i don't know i don't remember one thing about it um, I know that Mary Lou returns in prom night three, but I don't know if it's the same actress. I don't know any, I saw it so long ago. I, I remember nothing about it, but I'm safely assuming that this one's much better just because I don't think prom night three has that great of rep- reputation. Um, and then prom night four goes back to the slasher roots. And I actually really enjoy prom night four. I just find that it has this creepy atmosphere to it. That's just, I don't know, un- uneasy. But this one is easily the best. I mean, easily the best of the of the four films. Much better than the first one. I'll, I will even I'll say that. Yeah, it's one of those things where it just um, it delivers in in every regard as a piece of horror cinema, um, and it does so better than the first movie. To be honest. Yeah, and you get so many just things that are unique that this film delivers that it's i mean just like i said like the the whole shocking you know the shocking nudity scene the the les you know the the, the insinuated lesbianism the final boy the, the the twist the the death scenes the i just it's just crazy what this film does and it never never gets boring the pacing is perfection um you're never going to get bored by this film there's it's just it just it, this they they did it right. That's all I can say. This is a really enjoyable film. It's it's definitely one of the standout films from the 80s, I believe, for a variety of reasons. Um, 
but it's it's a treat. It really is. It I, is, yeah. I adore this film. I adore this film. It needs a, it needs a good Blu-ray release, um, packed with some good extras because I I just adore this film. It's it's so fun. This is a film that I think I, I could watch it and then restart it right away and watch it again. Yeah, there's so right. many details to this movie that are just like it, it can't get boring to me. It can't because it it, it has so many um, elements to it that are. 100% on from like good characters to a unique villain to excellent kills to like a storyline that is familiar, but also takes bold risks. You know, it, like just when you think it's going one way, it twists and goes a different direction. Um, mm. It just, yeah, it just really keeps you on your toes as a first time viewer. And as someone who's seen it and appreciates it for what it is, you can't, you really can't go wrong. I think it's one of those things that really needs to, um, for, if you're a fan of the genre and you have not watched this movie, you need to ensure you do. And if you're someone who loves the genre and has seen this movie and has friends who have not do your duty and show it to them, because I do have a few friends who had not seen this film. And I was like, please, you know, I know they're fans of Friday, or I'm sorry, they're fans of Nightmare on Elm Street. And um, huge fans of Nightmare on Elm Street, more fans of fantasy horror. And these two straight boys, never seen it before. And I was like, you've got to watch this movie. And the one came to me and he's like, thank you so much. This is, I have to say, probably my favorite horror film of all time now. It's, yeah, like, it, it, it really, if once when people discover this film, they end up loving it. There is a, a huge passion for this film. Um, I, I think especially among gay horror fans, it has a huge following. And we need justice for Mary Lou. She needs to become, she needs to be, you know, recognized as one of the, the best villains in the annals of horror. Can we get that? Can we make that happen, please? Oh, absolutely. But, yeah, but that's Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2. I'm so, so glad you chose this film. I, it's, this was a blast. Um, and, and speaking of that, you know, we like to reveal what we're going to cover um, on our next episode at the end of each episode. And, you know, we, me and Roger have a thing where we both, we pick two. Um, I pick two, he picks two, you know, and we go, that's how we kind of do our, our, our lineup, but we also want recommendations from you guys. So please, 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 you know, go to our Facebook group, dark or not other podcast and, and send us some suggestions. Um, even though, I mean, I, I think as horror fans, me and Roger probably have a laundry list of films that we want to cover, but we also want to cover things that you want us to cover. Um, so yeah, but anyway, what are we covering next, Roger? So for my second selection in a row this time around, um, I stuck to the 80s because you can't go wrong. Um, but I did go a little bit different when it comes to the um, the genre breakdown. Um, I, <laughs> I decided to go with the 1988 remake of The Blob. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yup, yup, yup. It's um, honestly, it's probably one of my favorite remakes of all time. And I'm just going to say that right now that we're going to be going into a, on my end. I, I, I don't know what you're going to say about it, but I'm, I love this movie more than most. I'll say that much. I've been waiting to review this film on here. Uh, it stars a uh, an evergreen Shawnee Smith who does not age, Amanda from the Saw series. Um, it's directed by Chuck Russell, who you all probably know from films such as The Mask um, and uh, the original uh, 
series, Nightmare on Elm Street, he did the third one. He did Dream Warriors. Oh, which is in my, that's the best one in my opinion. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. So he he did he did Dream Warriors from the original Nightmare series. Um, so you know he has a very specific aesthetic. You know he has a really good knack for practical effects and all these things. I just can't wait to bring up in this uh, next review because it is. Like I said, one of my favorite remakes of all time, and you guys will see why. And Troy, I can't remember. Have you seen this one before? I have seen parts of it, and it's been so long yeah. ago. I think I saw it when I was a kid, and it was like on USA Network or something. So I've never seen the full thing. I've seen parts of it, and I just remember, like, I remember the phone books or the phone booth scene. That's yeah, what I do remember. Oh my god, that phone book or that phone booth scene with uh, Candy Clark. Yeah, I need to. So I'm really excited to watch this. So the sooner, the better. Super excited. But you guys, we we always, as always, want to thank you for listening to just two little, you know, two homos sitting here chatting about two films we love. Sitting by a mic. Yes. Uh, and if you enjoy us, like I said, jo- uh, join our Facebook group. Um, like us on Facebook, Dark Knight of the Podcast. We're on Instagram. Yeah, Troy, I've noticed that you've really been um, giving that Instagram some love lately. Like, you've been posting. I've, I'm trying. That's my goal. You know what? I, I, I decided. I think me and you talked about this. And I, I love doing this. So I really want to, you know, grow this podcast and continue to do it. So my one of my goals for 2021 is just to do that. I, I'm going to – I think we're – I want to try to get us to record on a more regular basis and definitely – up our social media and then interact with, with, with other horror fans. Um, but if you like what you've heard, uh, give us a, a rating also on, you know, Apple or wherever you listen to the podcast, because that helps as well, because, you know, podcasts that have decent ratings get kind of placed higher in, in search results. So that could help new people dis- um, discover the show, but I'm really pleased with like how many people are actually listening. It's kind of awesome. Seriously. Yeah. You know, we're still pretty fresh and I acknowledge that completely, but that being said, I'm genuinely starting to see the, um, the attention, uh, grow and the, um, more of a fan base develop. And I, we really appreciate that. You know, uh, Troy and I have been working in the film industry for a hot minute now, but we have more than anything, we just have a love for the genre and uh, we really appreciate that we're starting to hear back from some of you and everything. And Troy had mentioned before, but I want to reiterate, if you have suggestions, please let us know because I would love for us to watch some films that both of us have not seen. <laughs> you know, like uh, that, that honestly appeals to me greatly. But uh, up to that point, you and I have a lot of knowledge we want to spew out about these films and I'm, um, I couldn't be happier. So Troy, thank you so much again for uh, another great episode. And I, this was a really good one, and it made me really happy to talk about this film because I knew you uh, you had a lot to say about it. But yeah, I'm excited for The Blob, Shawnee Smith, one of my favorites. So uh, until then, Troy, I bid you adieu. Yes, adios. <laughs> Have a great one. Over and out. All right. Bye-bye.